sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Do you think you might have migraine? Talk to your healthcare professional about your symptoms, the number of days they impact your life, and which treatment options might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com and the American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at AmericanBrainFoundation.org. The Epilepsy Foundation leads the fight to overcome the challenges of living with epilepsy and to accelerate therapies, stop seizures, find cures, and save lives. Visit Epilepsy.com to find out how to get involved today. And by Norellis, a leading neuroscience company focused on the development and commercialization of therapeutics for the treatment of epilepsy and other neurologic disorders. The company's unique drug portfolios strive to address unmet needs in patient care. Learn more at Norellis.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servin, a neurologist who practices at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. This is what's health got to do with it which looks at where and how healthcare intersects with your life, hoping you get the medical answers you want. Coming up, we'll discuss a huge healthcare innovation, a hospital in your own home. But first, let me ask you a question. What words from your doctor do you dread? I'm not talking about when you have a terminal illness. I know no one wants to say or hear those words. In my experience, the hardest thing for my patients to hear is when I say I want to admit them to the hospital. My patients and their families' faces immediately tell me exactly what they're thinking. Please, no, how long? You see, we in America have a love-hate relationship with hospitals. Hospitals are the cathedrals of modern healthcare. When we are urgently sick, we can't worship them enough. Yet, when we're well, it's the last place anyone wants to visit. During COVID, everyone shunned hospitals unless they absolutely needed to be there. Perhaps it's the sterile environment, or perhaps the loss of independence, or maybe even a reminder of our own mortality. Then there are the hospital bills, which as Groucho Marx once quipped, a hospital bed is a park taxi with the meter running. Amen to that. Whatever the reason, everyone can agree that hospitals are simply not home. But what if there was another approach? What if your home could be turned into a hospital? Would that dread go away? In November 2020, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services launched the Acute Hospital Care at Home program to provide hospitals expanded flexibility to care for patients in their homes. A healthcare industry survey estimates that up to $265 billion worth of care currently being delivered in traditional facilities for Medicare, representing up to 25% of the total cost of care could shift to the home by 2025. This represents a three- to four-fold increase in the current Hospitals at Home programs. Our next guests have made that idea a reality here in Jacksonville. Joining us now in the studio to talk about the Mayo Clinic Hospital at Home program is Dr. Michael Maniachi, the clinical director of the program, and A.J. Dunn, the Chief Administrative Officer of Mayo Clinic Florida. Dr. Maniachi and Mr. Dunn, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start, Dr. Maniachi. What is hospital at home? So when you think of getting sick and requiring a hospital-level care, you need a place where you can get a medical care team to look after you, doctors, nurses, and what happens? What do they do when they come up with a plan? They give you IV medications. They give you physical therapy. Laboratory studies are done. Radiology studies are done. That all requires a place in the past to be done. We've centralized healthcare over the last 100 years to deliver that high-acuity care. 
What if that care didn't need centralization? Why does it require a building? That's the question we asked, and that's the driving force behind hospital at home. What if we could deliver those labs, those medications, those IVs, those physical therapy treatments on the comfort of your own home? That's really what it is, taking what happens in a physical hospital, decentralizing that and transplanting that into the community into your own home. You get the same high-quality care, high-acuity hospital-level care, but you're sitting on your couch instead of sitting in a hospital bed. It sounds like a dream on, on one level. Let, let's, let me ask a, a, a comparison sake, because I think a program that people are aware of is hospice at home. Sure. So help to distinguish hospital at home versus hospice at home. Sure. Hospice care is usually end of life or more palliative comfort type care, meaning you're sick, you have an incurable disease, you need certain things at home, a helper or an aide to get around to go to the bathroom, some medications to keep you out of pain. It's low acuity. It keeps you going from day to day. There's other home care nowadays, home physical therapy and other things that can be done that people, when they get discharged from hospital or move out of a nursing home, they can get in the home setting. That's very low acuity care, meaning it's just something that happens once or twice a week. It can happen in days to weeks. It doesn't take minutes or hours to deliver to you. Hostile care home is much different. It is hostile level care. You require a hospital. You need to be getting that type of care. You just don't need the building, and that's what's different. You need medications and medical decision-making within minutes. You need responses within minutes to hours, not days to weeks. You need to be seen several times a day, either physically or virtually, by providers, physicians, nurses, advanced practice providers, making medical decisions and changing your plan rapidly on the fly to make sure you get the best medical care to get you over your acute illness. Not something that lasts months that you might have, like chronic cough, right. COPD, but an acute pneumonia, a heart attack, something of the sort that you need to recover in a hospital for. Now you do that in the home setting. Got it. So, Mr. Dunn, uh, to kind of jump on uh, what was just said, what are the typical diagnoses that would qualify for hospital at home? Certainly. <clears throat> One of the things that we're looking at really is focusing on the patients that have a very consistent episode of care in the hospital. So patients that our clinical teams know, here's how they typically present on the first day, the second day, the third day. So things like patients with heart failure, patients with complex uh, inf skin infections, patients that have things like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, those are m common medical conditions that patients are in the hospital. They're very sick, but they're very predictable in how we would treat them. And those are the kinds of patients that we've been able to, together with our partners, um, engineer systems to be able to care for those patients by bringing the hospital to their home. Dr. Maniachi, would you add anything to that? No, it's, I think you're exactly right. I think we can get into, as we've learned over the last couple of years of running this program, we're able to advance and go past those singular diagnoses to much more advanced diagnoses. Right. We can talk about that later if you'd like. And, and we will kind of uh, yeah. hit on some of those in a moment. Well, I guess, you know, the, the first thing that hits me is when I think of a hospital room, I often think of all of the equipment that is around me in that room. I, there's suction, there's uh, oxygen, uh, there's just this whole panel of things. So what health equipment is needed at home and how does it get to someone's house when they do this type of program? Sure. So when you're admitted to the program, we transport the patient into the home and we also deliver the equipment. So our paramedics or our medical team will come deliver the equipment and install it in the home, teach the patient how to use it. So there's certain them and their family members how to use this equipment. What you want is equipment that is high impact, but low profile. You don't want to turn their home into a hospital room because that's not comfortable either. Right. But you want to collect and get that information that helps the care team make medical decisions. So what's installed is a very low profile but high impact technology package. It starts with a tablet that's a video tablet. That's your video connection to a command center. We okay. run all our hospital care out of a command center located right here in Jacksonville. Okay. We'll talk about that in a second. But that command center is how the physician and the bedside nurse connect virtually to the patient through that tablet. The tablet is also connected to a blood pressure cuff, pulse oximeter, a scale, things to get biometric information on the patient so I can know what their vital signs, how they're doing throughout the day. 
Then there's backup, redundancy. You want to make sure that besides the tablet, we have a Wi-Fi phone in the house. We also connected their cellular phone. We have a life call system, one of those I've fallen and I can't get up type things right. that they wear around. So wherever they're in their home, because we encourage them to ambulate and move around and use their home. It's part of the healing process. They can always hit a button and be in contact with us at any second. All this is fed into our system, which then is transferred to us in our command center, and we're able to monitor them and act on medical information. We also back up their home with a 72-hour power supply. So if the power goes out, our equipment still functions. Wow. We also connect different ways of connectivity, meaning we connect to the internet. We also have put in a cradle point in their house that's connected to like a Verizon cradle point, and the tablet has an AT&T chip. So we have different cellular and internet signals connecting to the patient at all times. So if one's lost, two back it up. So it's all about safety through connectivity, high impact, low profile. This can fit on a shelf or in their family room, and they wouldn't even notice it was there. It's amazing. It sounds like sick bay on the Star Trek <laughs> Enterprise. I, it I, is. I, it's pretty wild. Um, Mr. Dunn, uh, it, it goes to this command center. So who is monitoring these patients? Sure. And we may even be able to take a step back and just look at some of the four components that are required because okay. this would provide the foundational building block. And, and you've asked about some of these, but maybe I'll just paint the full picture. So the first thing that we need is the tech stack. So that's all of the communications, the monitoring and the backup power, the backup Wi-Fi, all of the redundant capabilities that go into the home. That's our technology stack. That allows us to be able to monitor and communicate with the patient with um, a high level of redundancy, talking medical grade. The second would be a software platform. All of the tech in the home generates a huge amount of data, and all of that data is collected and organized and synthesized in what we call a software platform that takes the typical hospital or clinic electronic medical record, all of the IT systems that aren't well designed for running a hospital uh, in someone's home, and we bring that to the table. And so the software platform is the second. The third is our command center. So we have a 24-7 medical operations command center that's staffed by physicians, nurses, pharmacists, case managers, um, clinical informaticists, all of the kinds of people that you would see on a typical hospital floor. The only person that you don't see is the patient because the patient's in a hospital room. That room happens to be virtually located in their home. But the command center is staffed by all of the same clinical resources working 24-7 who are making clinical decisions based on the monitoring that's occurring in the home, being fed to the command center by our software platform, highlighting the most actionable clinical information and enabling us to interact with the patients. And then medical decisions are made in the command center by our clinical teams in partnership with the patients. And then those medical decisions are implemented by the fourth element, which is our supplier network. And so we have a network of a whole host of services that are able to go into and out of the home on demand to deliver goods and services spanning physical therapy, occupational therapy, infusions of medications, delivering medical needs, meals, removing medical waste, um, all wow. sorts of things, being able to do a chest x-ray in the home, an ECG in the home, so we can do testing, we can do infusion services, we can deliver routine medications, all of the kinds of services that routinely would be used in a hospital are able to be delivered by that uh, supplier network. Paint a visual picture for us. Um, so I'm I'm envisioning this command center. Is it a bunch of screens with patients on video and and then on the side pulse and blood pressure? Is, is that the general gist of what it looks like? Uh, very close. And so the command center um, is really an amazing place that has a number of different places. So there's a bay that you may have nurse practitioners and nurses working together making video calls to and from patients, talking to patients and their family members, understanding what's going on and coordinating care. There are offices where individual physicians and nurses and nurse practitioners and physician assistants can have one-on-one -on -one private conversations with patients. Uh, there is an open teaming space where we do rounds on a daily basis reviewing each of the patients, and there's lots of video boards on the walls highlighting each patient and what's going on with each patient. We have boards that show the weather. So if there's uh, weather events coming that might impact our ability to care for patients, that we can track all of those types of things. And so it is a space that is full and bustling with clinicians. It is a space that has lots of technology showcasing patients and what's happening with, with their care. Um, 
but basically it is a typical hospital floor where the only thing that's missing is the patient. Let me ask, since you brought up the weather, I, I have to ask. So we had two fun visitors this year, uh, Nicole and Ian. Uh, how did that, uh, what happened? Nothing? Did something yeah. happen? So we have a hurricane prevention plan and, and readiness plan where we can jump in and remember that this is virtual care that's out of our command center, but our command center can be anywhere. Right. So we have a mobile way of go bags where we can figure out what's coming as far as a storm. How are we going to weather the storm? Is it going to impact us? If it is, we can move our command center. We actually have a hotel in Georgia we can move to that's inland, that's safe. We can set up our equipment, run it right out of there, and take care of our patients throughout the country because we take care of patients with this command center, not only patients in Jacksonville, Florida, but also in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Phoenix, Arizona. So I'm three different time zones, seeing different patients at different places. We have to take care of those patients no matter what. So even if we're going to be impacted by the storm here, we can make decisions. Do our patients going to be impacted? Can the supply chain make it to them? If not, do we need to move them to a more safe place into a physical hospital or a distant hospital, transfer them you know, from the home to a safe place? And if so, we will do that. But how do we, you know, get to our patients that are not going to be impacted by the storm, move the command center to a different space and do it virtually, just like the setup we have here in the studio. You can set up anywhere a command center and run this from anywhere. So, so now I understand the weather. So it yeah. isn't just the hurricane, but if you're in Wisconsin, uh, you're talking about uh, a potential blizzard. Uh, if you're in Arizona, I guess a power outage during yeah. the middle of July or something like that. Uh, the, that's how you're able to kind of... Uh... Exactly. You have to follow the weather and conditions everywhere and the connectivity to your patients, not just your virtual connection, but the ability for the supply chain to execute your orders. You have to keep those in balance and make sure that there's always redundancy and they're always able to execute for our patients to make sure they get the care they need. And safety and high reliability is our top priority. And so one of the things that we constantly do is we throw scenarios out at our team to have them work on how would we handle this specific scenario? So we have on occasion come in and said, okay, there's a hurricane coming. It will be here in three hours. Let's break down the entire command center. Let's get everybody to deliver care to the patients that we have today using Wi-Fi hotspots, using mobile laptops. Let's go in the back of ambulances and transfer ourselves to another local facility and we'll stand up the entire command center. We need to get that done in two hours. Let's go. And not a joke. Let's go do it today. And so we've done that and drilled and found Everything worked perfectly except one little issue, and we work on that issue, and then the next time we do it, we see it works again. And so we are focused on making sure that the hospital at home is something that's able to deliver care to patients that are really, really sick patients that are at the most vulnerable point in their lives, and we're able to bring all of the care that they need to them and deliver that care around their personal situation, but do it really safely so that we get both a transformed experience of care we get improved safety. And over time, we're also looking to bring down the cost. But safety is the number one thing that we're focused on. That is amazing as I'm listening to this. And to all of our listeners, you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9. I'm Dr. Joe Servan. And if you're just joining us, we're talking about Hospital at Home, a major healthcare innovation. And we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for future shows, tweet me at jservant. So when you bring up all this weather uh, in the discussion of climate change, this is very, uh, very germane to all of these things because you you pretty much are building in a way to deliver care regardless of what's going on outside. Correct. In the past, hospital-level care was oriented around a building. Today, we're looking at hospital-level care being a level of care delivery that can be delivered agnostic to the building. It's something that we can do that relates to severe weather events. We can bring this into play as we think about vulnerable populations, rural populations that may not be able to uh, travel to a hospital, underserved populations that may not always be able to access. You know, we're looking at completely redesigning healthcare, transforming healthcare into the future on behalf of our patients. And this is one of the steps that we at Mayo Clinic are trying to do to create a better and more effective healthcare system in the future. We just picked a particularly challenging place to start. And Hospital <laughs> at Home is one of our first initiatives as we think about turning healthcare into a platform. Understood. Dr. Variachi, let's get into some of the logistics when you have a sick patient. Um, what if someone, they need to get back to the hospital? Uh, it, yeah, 
emergent surgery, uh, something that uh, requires uh, an invasive uh, procedure or something. Uh, who determines that and how is that done? Sure. There's several ways we do that. Some things are planned. As you say, we have a patient. We know they may need an invasive procedure, advanced radiological procedure that can't be done in the home setting. We have those procedures planned. Just like if you're on the fifth floor of our hospital and you move down to radiology and get that procedure and then go back up to the fifth floor, we can do the same. If it's a planned procedure, we can take a patient, assess them, bring them into the hospital, perform that procedure, radiography, surgery. And if they're clinically stable and safe, we'll move them right back home again, just like you move back upstairs. So we can move people very easily through our medical transport if they need that. Other people do require a rapid response system, and we do have one set up. We have several layered rapid responses where if somebody has a true medical emergency, a code blue but in the home, right. we can have local paramedics swarm on the person, be in there within five minutes, and even take them to a, the nearest medical facility to stabilize that patient, then decide if we move them back home or to our physical hospital that need something more advanced. If it's a less urgent uh, type of situation, we have a rapid response team that goes to the home with a paramedic an advanced practice provider, either in person or by uh, virtual connection, will determine what's going on with that patient, do a rapid assessment, physical exam, both the virtual brain of the physicians and everybody in the command center, along with the in-home presence of the that paramedic or nurse that's at the bedside, they'll make a determination. Can we treat this patient and keep them safely in the home? Or do we need them to bring them back to do an advanced radiological study, CAT scan of the lungs for a blood clot or something, because something new has come up beyond the diagnosis we're treating? We'll make that determination and we'll execute it very quickly, bring them back, and then make a determination. Do they need to stay again? Do they require brick-and-mortar hospital right. for the fur further care of and stabilization? Or can we move them back home again because it's safe? Are there certain illnesses that just aren't appropriate for hospital sure. at home? Yeah. We, we do a medical clinical examination and determination of every patient we bring in the program. And there are certain illnesses that would not fly, at least in the current technology time frame, but what, what we do here. Uh, anybody that needs ICU level care, intubation, advanced uh, procedures, invasive surgery, somebody who has rapid bleeding who may need one, two, three endoscopy advanced scopes uh, over the next couple of days, those people are not clinically stable. They need constant escalations to different platforms of care. Those would not be the best right up front for our program. The minute those patients are clinically stable, we can give them the option to move home. But ones that are not clinically stable that would need that advanced care, advanced procedures rapidly, we don't have the, the means to do that in the home at this time. So those would not be the best. Got and the th thing I might add to that is we decided to launch this program at the end of 2019, and we spent several months working internally and with external partners, building all of the capabilities and systems to be able to launch. And so we launched in uh, July, June of 2020. And by the end of 2020, if, as we looked at the number of patients that were being seen in our hospital at home program, what we call advanced care at home, it was less than one half of 1% of all of our hospital patients by the end of 2020 were being seen in the hospital at home model. So let's call it a half of 1%. By the end of the next year, the end of 2021, we were at 1.9% of all of our patients in terms of the patient days were being seen in the hospital at home program. That was the end of 2021. So from a half of percent to 1.9%, Two Fridays ago, we were at 7% oh of goodness. our patients. And by the end of next year, our plan is to be at 15%. And at full maturity, we think we're somewhere between 25 to 30%. So clearly, it's not all of our patients. It's not all of the, the conditions that would qualify. But we're looking at somewhere in that 25 to 30% of patients being able to go from having care in a strange place, as much as we love our hospital sure. and as much as we love our patients, we know they would much rather be at home. We think we can take about a quarter of those patient days and allow patients to be in the comfort and the convenience of their own home. 25, 30% is huge. Yes. So as of right now with, you know, call it five to 6% transferred, we think we have a really successful proof of concept. At 25%, we think we've ultimately really transformed healthcare. Let me get also into the logistics of of the homes you go to. Um, are some homes simply not appropriate for hospital at home? I'm thinking, uh, you know, the first thing I think about the hospital is a certain sterile smell. It's a uh, it's it's there's a certain sense. Uh, how how is that? Hand I mean, are some homes? I mean, just to say it bluntly, just they're just not 
clean enough uh, to have hospital at home the way you think of a hospital. So I can answer that in two parts. First, about the homes that are appropriate. Really, it's we re, we do a social screening, but our requirements are very very basic. You have to have a home, right? Some sort of place, a roof over your head, power and water. Those are the basic requirements. There's a lot of other questions we ask to make sure the home is safe for both our patient and our staff. Are there weapons in the house that are unwatched? Are there 30 cats running around? What is it? But, we, but you know, the idea in our minds of what's a perfect home to what people live in and what is reality, that really, we, we, we can conform to many different environments. We've gone to many houses that there are many things. on the We can do safety assessments. Do we need to clean this floor? Do we need to pick up this carpet? Do we need to help them with these boxes? Do we need to make this home safe? Can we do the care properly in this home? We say yes often to that. I really... It's, it's rare that we deny care or say this is not safe for a patient because of the home itself. So we actually adapted to many different environments. And as we do this across the country, many of our patients in rural Wisconsin live in a mobile home in the middle of nowhere. How do we set up the technology? How do we connect to the internet to make sure we're connected? We, we can bring that to the patient. We want to deliver that care to the patient so we can adapt to whatever a home looks like in order to deliver that care. It's just a few basic requirements we need, and then we make sure it's safe. When it comes to the sterility of the home and hospital-acquired infections, people always ask, you know, what about that? And I say, well, surprisingly, hospitals aren't safe places, as you know, Dr. Zervin. I mean, that's true. between 3 and 5% of patients get hospital-acquired infections every year. It's like 600,000 patients that catch something because of the hospital. Yet in the home setting, we've seen this throughout the country in different programs, people reporting 0% infection rate. Uh, I know that the Integris program in Oklahoma that runs a similar hospital home program than us reported we have not had a single hospital-acquired infection in any patient we put in our hospital at home program. And if you think about it, it's because the treatment, what do people catch? It's usually from the other people around them in a hospital. That's right. That's where they get the staphylococcal infections, the Clostridium difficile, diarrhea, COVID. You catch it from other people or visitors in and out. In the home setting, you don't have any other, you're an N of one. There's only one person patient there and that's you. People in and out of the house, as far as medical providers, are limited. It's our, our supply chain. Our people are delivering the care, but it's one or two people a day doing many different things as opposed to many other people. Everybody else is virtual. And the visitors are your family that live in the house already. So anything that's there, it's already there. So to actually, we found a reversal of this where the home seems to be safer from an infection standpoint. Wow. Uh, that, that's amazing. Given how frequent hospital-acquired infections are, uh, let me ask a few more logistical questions. Sure. What about bio waste? Uh, you're diabetic. There's needles, maybe an IV. What happens to those needles in the house? Uh, how are they managed? Certainly. So one of the services that's in our supplier network is waste removal. So we are able to provide waste removal services that's able to handle medical grade waste. Um, so that's one of the things that we've we've thought through and, and we routinely are able to do for patients. As we've built this system, we had to replicate the systems of the hospital. So medical waste, medical meals, security, picking up labs, courier, all those things that you'd have in a hospital, we have to build that in the community supply chain to deliver the care in home. So we had to think of many, there's almost 18 different separate things you have to put together and build in any community you build a hospital home program in order to deliver that care. We've done that. And then you have to interconnect it with the software to make sure it runs as efficiently as a hospital. Yet you don't want to just duplicate what we do in the hospital. You don't want to have 10 lab checks a day, 100 vital sign checks. Right. The, thing, the redundancy that happened that is not medically necessary, we just do it because we have the patient there and we, ah, it seems good to check labs because shouldn't we do that? That stuff goes away. And that's that, that one helps with the patient experience. They don't have to get stuck Three times a day, they don't have to get different things happen where they, you know, they get to sleep at night and not have 10 monitors going off beeping all night long because that's not medically necessary for that patient. We make a better environment for them. And that eventually also leads to the cost savings because we're practicing better, smarter care as we should be doing in our brick and mortar hospitals. We're doing that in this practice and that drives better quality, better experience for the patient and ultimately lower costs for healthcare. And so one of the examples might be if Dr. Maniachi and team are seeing a patient and that patient has worsening symptoms that may need uh, a specific medicine to be infused, that team may say, okay, let's go ahead and infuse a medicine for this patient at one o'clock in the afternoon. And that simple decision might result in an order going to a local pharmacy to say, please compound this specific medication, a request going to a local courier to pick up the medication and take it to the home at a certain time, a medical supplier to bring a medical infusion pump to the home, a home health agency to send a specific nurse 
to the home to put the drug in the infusion pump and to administer the drug and potentially to one of our nurse practitioners or advanced practice providers to go to the home and do a physical assessment. And all of those things happen with extremely high precision where we monitor the arrival times for all of those things, all of the resources that come to the home, check in on the tablet that's in the home so that we know specific service level agreements on this has to happen within this specific time frame. And so the challenge of hospital at home is one of designing a care model, designing a supply delivery model. So think about building an Amazon, right. building a medical practice, and then building an IT practice because all of that is connected via data. And so we've solved together for three very specific challenges that has enabled us to be able to do hospital at home now in a digitally enabled way that is extremely um, positive for the patient and something that we wouldn't have been able to do five years ago, just the technology didn't exist to be able to manage all of those pieces with high precision and high reliability. Simply incredible. Uh, it, it would almost uh, be a trope if I don't bring up hospital food. Uh, uh, it, it is, <laughs> it, it, let's just say no one goes to the hospital for the food. Uh, uh, do Does hospital at home rely on what is in the refrigerator or is or people bringing food to the patient i am thinking of those that ha have a penchant for mcdonald's or whataburger and maybe that's not the best treatment while they're recovering from pneumonia but but what happens with yeah. that so just as a physical hospital we will supply food to any of our patients just as they get food in the hospital if they require food we can provide every meal while they're hospitalized in hospital at home we can provide every single one of those meals ourselves but we give patients the option of taking their own food, having their own cooking, which might provide a more desired effect, give them a better experience. They can do that as well. I often encourage it because, one, I know, what, I, I know what they're eating. And I can also build my medical plan and cater it, especially my heart failure patients or others that diet is very important. What do they really drink during the day? How much salt do they really eat? I get to see them in their home with their fridge and their family and what they actually consume on a day-to-day -day basis individualize my care plan and and then figure out, oh, this is why it wasn't working in the hospital every time they come in. It's because I wasn't seeing what they were really doing. So we're able to give better care to patients by individualizing that care plan to what they eat. And I find food is comforting for them. Sure. So if they have their favorite food, we let them do it. Uh, it's the same thing with everything in the house. They want to be with their dog. They want to sit on their porch. They want to go for a walk. As long as it's medically safe, I encourage all that type of movement and interaction because that's part of the healing process. That's the magic at home. As I said before, it's not replicating what's happening in the hospital because hospitals aren't places for really healing. They're more True. of just somewhat recovery and then send you to the next place to heal. This all happens in the home. We have less than 1% of patients we send to a skilled nursing facility or rehab after a home hospital program. They can do all that at home because they're up. They're more mobile, 10 times more mobile than what they are in the hospital they feel good. They're eating better. They're interacting with family. They can get the physical therapy they need, and they can recover in the home setting. That's the magic of hospital at home that we really enjoy seeing. And the mobility issue is a key one. Certainly, for those of you who've spent time in the hospital, one of the things you realize is that almost all of the time is spent in the hospital bed, whereas when we have hospital at home, patients are up, they're moving around, they're sitting on their couch, they're moving to their kitchen. And just that simple difference between being flat, laying down in a hospital bed and moving around in the home prevents that deconditioning that occurs from some, someone just simply being in bed for three days in a row versus up and around. And those are the kinds of things that have a profound impact on the clinical outcomes that we're seeing um, significantly better in hospital at home than in our traditional hospital. Yeah. Most people get admitted to skilled nursing and rehab centers, not for the disease they have, but recovery of the hospital stay because they were laying in bed for five days. I mean, that's really the reality of it. And that's what we're able to avoid with this. And to all of our listeners, you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9. I'm Dr. Joe Servan. And if you're just joining us, we're talking about hospital at home, a major healthcare innovation. And we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for future shows, tweet me at Jay Servan. I want to bring up another big chunk of the hospital, um, medications. Uh, medications in hospitals, as any of us can, can attest to, they are so, uh, they're, they're logged, they are checked, they, they are triple checked. Uh, they are also a huge source of medical errors. Um, what about medications in this type of program? So 
medications are administered in our program with the same scrutiny as a hospital program. Our pharmacists go over every single order that a physician or advanced practice provider puts in. They will make sure that the medication is filled and executed to the degree and safety that is necessary. Now, again, medications often won't come directly from our hospital, though. With the supply chain, in order to get the medications rapidly to the patient, we partner with different pharmacies throughout the city to deliver both physical pill form of medications and the IV infusions that are necessary. That takes redundancy, checking, rechecking, making sure the right thing is showing up at the home. But what is nice is, again, there is a safety aspect to it that I can see. We're packaging up medications, triple checking them, and then sending them directly to a patient's house to be administered. That administration is by a patient or family member overseen by our virtual staff, our bedside nurses, watching them pick up the pill, show it in the screen, verifying the pill. They put it in their mouth. We know they took it. We know it's the right thing. Every single medication that they take physically is done like that. And then our in-home nurses or paramedics are delivering the IV medications and making sure that they're checked and then infused properly and there's no signs of reactions. All that system has to be built, and that's what we do and how we double-check it uh, with this type of system. It, it, it works well, and again, there's only that patient's medications in their home. So you're not going to get Joe Smith or Bill Smith's right. medications from the room next door by accident because, again, you're an N of one in your house getting those medications we sent to you. What about uh, the uh, issues when it comes to just the, the the general sense of what patients say about the experience. I mean, I'm listening to it and I'm saying to myself, God, I don't want to go back to the hospital. Uh, and I work at a hospital. So, but, but I mean, what, what, what are, what are patients saying uh, about this? So the patient experience is incredibly high. Over 90% of our patients would say that they would refer the hospital at home program to their friends and loved ones. And the large part is because it's so personalized to the patient. We bring the hospital to the patient. Uh, if the patient has a loved one that wants to be there for medical rounds, we organize the rounds around the patient. If something needs to be performed, a procedure, and the patient is going to have grandchildren coming to visit, we can organize and schedule things around the patient's um, schedule, around what's going on in their life. And so unlike the hospital where the patient comes to us, in the hospital at home model, we're going into the patient's home. We're guests in the patient's home. And so everything is organized around that patient experience. And so the scores are incredibly high um, because it feels like a very much concierge type of a way to experience healthcare. Dr. Maniachi, this show often uh, covers the topic of doctor-patient relationships. Um, How does the relationship get impacted? Typical uh, physician or health provider with the patient, how does it get impacted with this program? Is it a, is there a difference? There, there is, and, and it's it's all positive, which I didn't think. When I, I was a skeptic at first, <laughs> believe it or not, of this, because how can I, a hospitalist, that's my, my primary job, hospital internal medicine. I see patients in the hospital, day-to-day basis, walking room to room, just did rounds this morning with my resident team. How can I take that physical presence I have in the room, make it virtual, and still have the same impact? I was a skeptic up front. Can that happen? But I found that, one, most of what I do is intellectual-based and communication-based, and both those things can be done virtually. There are need for physical exam and input from there, but I can partner with somebody who I trust to give me the physical information when I need it, make medical decisions, and then the communication is so much better because as opposed to running room to room, hovering over a patient, speaking for a few minutes, then off to the next room, I'm sitting down in front of a computer screen. It's just me. It's just the patient. And again, it is this individualized experience where it's that patient, their couch, their dog, their family members, their fridge, and their life. I'm a guest in their home. They can shut off the screen at any time. So they have to engage me, and that engages them in their medical care. They want to learn about what we're doing. We sit there and we talk sometimes for hours about things, and we can really, there's no rush there's no rush to get you home out of the hospital either. That discharge, that goes away. They're already in the home. So I, we, can, we can spend time talking about what's important to them, what are they worried about, and their health care. And that makes a bigger impact. And they can recover at their rate, and their family can ask whatever questions they want. And my job is to make sure that both the patient and family are taken care of. They don't feel like they're acting as a nurse, as a care tech. They're acting as loved ones that are learning more about 
their loved ones care and engaging and that impact to the patient is huge and delivers that experience that AJ talked about. And there's a difference in the power dynamic just simply with in the hospital, you come, you put on the clothes that we give you, we give you the hospital gown, you eat the food that we tell you to take, we, you take the medicines when we tell you to take the medicines and the entire experience is curated and managed and owned by the hospital. In the home, all of that reverses, the power dynamic shifts and because of that subtle shift in the power dynamic, often patients engage more because it's on their terms. They ask more questions, they probe a bit more, um, and they feel more comfortable. Whereas in bed, laying in the hospital gown, sometimes you're like, look, I don't want to bother my physician. You're a passive participant in the process. Whereas hospital at home gives much more opportunity for control. And that's another dynamic that has resulted in greater engagement, more teaching, more education, more sense of patients being accountable for understanding and managing their health in ways that's a more active process than a passive process. How long has this program been around? We began, <laughs> the, the inception started at the end of 2018, where our CEO, Gianrico Ferrugia, said the future of healthcare, a good portion of that is going to be both virtual care and connecting where people are at. We spent 2019 coming up with a system of partnering with a partner that could help us institute the care in the home. And then we finally opened our doors July 6th of 2020. That was our first patient, our first day. And we've been around the last uh, you know, two and a half years since then. And we've treated about 3,500 patients through our various ACH virtual programs in Jacksonville and across the country and our other sites through our command center. Are there any other similar programs to this one? Yes. So there are hospital-at-home programs across the country. Um, it's something that is certainly a very nascent and early concept, but these are programs that do exist. I would say that our hospital-at-home program is a bit unique in that we have designed ours to be able to care for the more sick and high-acuity patient. Mayo Clinic, uh, we're known for being able to manage serious and complex disease. And so we've started to calibrate our program to deliver services such as managing patients with bone marrow transplants and, and other kinds of more complex conditions. And, and, and maybe Dr. Maniachi could comment on that. Yeah. So after we got past the basic diagnoses, heart failure, COPD, as we talked about previously, as we became more comfortable both with the way we execute care through our command center and the in-home delivery of supply chain, we started to push what we need. What else can we do in the home? What else can we do for patients that they really need? One of them, as AJ just said, bone marrow transplants. Uh, bone marrow transplants, you come to the hospital, you get your transplant, then you spend the next 14 to 30 days sitting in the hospital, getting labs checked, getting a couple infusions of antibiotics, maybe a blood transfusion, but not a lot happens. You just sit there and hope that you don't get infections from, right, <laughs> from somebody. Right. Uh, we designed a system with our hematology oncology teammates that we said, hey, how about we do that bone marrow transplant at our clinic but then let's immediately move the patient home and spend that two to four weeks in the home setting. We can monitor labs. We can do the infusions, the antibiotics. If we need a blood transfusion, we can move them someplace to do that, then move them back home again. Uh, but we can give that same type of care, keep them safe at home, and give them a much better experience. We've done that with bone marrow transplants. We've also recently looked at a lot of post-surgical care. A lot of post-surgical care is very protocolized. Get this medicine, do this therapy. Why not have that experience at home as well? So we've built different experiences for, we've done a kidney transplant, post-kidney transplant at home, post-knee replacements. We're starting to build out these programs where we can treat patients in an environment that they feel more in control and much more happy. Incredible. Let, let me switch the, the, the kind of the theme of the topic and let's get to the other fun part of hospitals, sure. the bill. Uh, <laughs> so let's get into that uh, insurance and financial aspect. Are the costs, or the program bundled like a DRG, a diagnostic-related group, that you typically do for a typical hospital stay? Is that is that how this works in terms of the billing? Is it under some diagnostic code like that? So the great process is that we have options. This is a new model of care, and there's opportunities to build um, a bundled payment for either just the acute episode. We could do a bundled payment for a 30-day period. We could do something where we agree that, hey, let's pay for a certain percentage of charges. And, and so what we're trying to do now is take what is a very novel clinical model and figure out all of the other pieces that we need to wrap around that to make it a very successful model. So we need to think about how do we interact with payers? How do we come up with a billing model? 
Uh, we need to think about things like regulators and legislators. There's lots of rules and laws out there that yes. describe the hospital as a building. And we're saying we're not in the building anymore. We're at the patient's home. And so we're working piece by piece to identify all of the different components of the healthcare system, but specific to the legal, to the reimbursement and payment piece. Um, one of the really exciting pieces of news is that almost all of healthcare is done by billing codes. And because hospital at home didn't exist, there were no hospital at home billing codes. We've been able to partner with colleagues across the country to get um, a set of national billing codes and billing standards. And that's one of the first steps that for us is unlocking the opportunity to be able to bill for hospital at home just like we would for any other hospital stay. So we basically have said to payers, if you would pay us for a hospitalization in the brick and mortar facility, let's just figure out a way to have that same payment, regardless of where the patient is physically, so long as they need the care. So compared to a typical hospital stay, is hospital at home much less expensive for the patient? Today, the care is actually a bit more expensive for us because we're operating at a very small scale. We've built a command center that could care for likely over 150 patients. And right now we're operating that with less than 30. And we're operating intentionally at a very small scale as we learn and adapt. And so for every new patient population that we see, we spend a large amount of time calibrating the system, understanding and observing what does this patient population experience during the brick and mortar hospital stay? Can we safely and reliably replicate that in the home? Let's do that for one patient and study the results. Let's do it for a second. And then over time, we slowly scale. And so because of that very slow and methodical process, um, we've operated at a relatively low volume initially. We've projected that once we get to about uh, the first quarter of next year, we will have sufficient volume that the actual cost of hospital at home will be less than the brick and mortar cost. And by the time we get to the end of next year, we should be somewhere around 25 to 30% less. That's uh, amazing in terms of like at least getting to that goal. Uh, you know, at the end of this year, the uh, COVID public health emergency uh, will end. Well, at least we assume it will end unless they expand it. But uh, assuming that they do and uh, there are waivers, as you said, hospitals are defined by brick and mortar. Uh, do you foresee the waivers that allow for this incredible program to continue, to still continue as we move into 2023? Yeah, so we hope so, <laughs> right? <laughs> because 85% right. uh, of our patients operate now under the government waiver. I mean, it's, it's a large percentage, and that's seen throughout the country. Uh, we really are hopeful that we will continue with some sort of model of care. And we've actually been part of an advocacy group, the Advanced Care at Home Advocacy Group, that has gone to Washington, D.C., spoken to Congress, and stated that we have all throughout the country, there's 114 health systems that have applied for or are actively using the waiver and doing some sort of virtual care under it. That is a huge ecosystem that's built in yeah. this country that's helping a lot of people most of them government uh, contracts. So we have to continue the system, continue to learn, continue under guardrails, but continue to build out what is a better way of health care delivery and will ultimately deliver higher quality care and drive down costs. So we have put forward a bill that we're hoping to add on to the end of year financial package that would continue that waiver for an additional two years. That would give us a bridge to build a more permanent system with CMS and other government providers to what the payment system of hospital at home looks like in the future. Mr. Dunn, our final question. You alluded to this in uh, your earlier comments uh, when you were talking about percentages, that this will likely get to 25 to 30 percent of the hospital. But if you put on your futurist hat, do you foresee the growth of hospitals at home outpacing the traditional hospital beds eventually. Yes. And so as we think about the overall hospital, we, we see demographics shifting. Patients are getting older. And so normally what would happen is we would just build bigger and bigger and bigger hospitals. And over time, I think what we will see is a shift where the patients that are in what are today's brick and mortar hospitals are those patients that really are very high acuity and need intensive care or very procedurally oriented care, and the vast majority of other patients who would be in a typical medical unit or surgical unit, those patients will be getting all or most of their hospitalization 
in the home brought to them because I think patients will demand it. Once any of our patients have hospital at home and they're hospitalized again, the experience of being at home and being in your comfort and in control is something that patients want. And so I think patients will demand in the future home hospitalization as a part of their experience. And this creates just the foundation for all of the other things that we believe we can bring to the home. So the emergency department visit, the primary care visit, the cancer care visit, there's lots of other things that we can do at home. So we're doing hospital at home today. I think we'll be doing healthcare at home in the future. I'm going to let that be our last words. We've been talking to Dr. Michael Maniachi and to Mr. A.J. Dunn. Dr. Maniachi is the Clinical Medical Director of Hospital at Home Program at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. And Mr. Dunn is the Chief Administrative Officer for Mayo Clinic in Florida. Well, that's our program for today. We hope you've enjoyed our show. If you missed anything, you can listen to the full episode at WJCT.org and on your favorite podcast app. Thanks to all of our guests. Our executive producer is David Luckin. Heather Schatz is our senior producer. Our producer is Brendan Rivers. Brendan Rivers is also today's director. Gary Autry is our intern. Next week's program is a look at medical odysseys. What to do when you have a rare condition. If you have questions about this or any topic, let us know by calling us at 904-358-6362, emailing us at health at wjct.org, or tweeting me at jservin. I'm Dr. Joe Servin, and you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9 Jacksonville. Thank you for listening, and stay in touch. Sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Is migraine impacting your life or daily activities four or more days per month? If so, ask your healthcare professional if you are a candidate for migraine prevention treatments and which ones might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com and the American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at American Brain Foundation and by the Epilepsy Foundation leads the fight to overcome the challenges of living with epilepsy and to accelerate therapies, stop seizures, find cures, and save lives. Visit epilepsy.com to find out how to get involved today.